Good morning. It is Danger Dan here in the talk shop. I am back in Texas. Back from a fucking beautiful weekend with the Safety Third Racing Team. Dude, we fucking killed it at the Mint 400, and I cannot wait to tell you more about it. But today's show is with a new friend of mine named Nick Farringer. You might have heard him on last week's episode with his dad, Carl. They both work on uh, Cycle Electric, the the only charging system company for your big V-twin or your small V-twin, whatever the fuck you got. Out of Dayton, Ohio, family-owned and operated Cycle Electric. Nick spends his, uh, his free time, dude, fucking bouncing around on a dirt bike. He's done some amazing things. He's traveled all over the world, racing uh, Enduros, hard Enduros, and we talk about a little bit of it all on today's show. He was actually going to be coming down here to Texas to race uh, some Red Bull Rampage or some shit, uh, but ended up calling that off after... What he did, a race in Missouri, the Ozark 100 maybe, or 1,000, or I don't know. We talked about it in the show. Uh, Man, I really enjoy talking with you, Nick. I can't wait to come back to Dayton and ride at the hellhole DDR. So let's get into this podcast. Extermination day with thou shall not hassle. Dude, I've got some badass shit to give away this month. And, uh, man, the only way you can get involved is if you go to DangerDanceTalkShop.com and sign up to become a Patreon. And, uh, you know, this is the end of 2021, so I've got some bigger prizes that I've been talking about all year that I'll be giving away in the next few episodes. Today, I'll be giving away a sign that my buddy, tattooed troubadour Alan Wayne Nichols, made for me. He built it out of wood, metal, and leather. It's a danger zone sign, and it's fucking badass. So, uh, yeah, bear with me momentarily. We will give that away. Go sign up. Got a bunch of rad shit. Uh, <clears throat> I got a motor built by Boston Billy at a B&B Racing in Metairie, Louisiana. A fucking shovel head. Somebody's going to win. I got a custom painted uh, Frisco tank from Lowbrow Customs. It's in the hands of Mechanical Candy, Chemical Candy Customs. My good friend Randy's going to put some flames on it. So... Dude, just pay attention to the next couple shows. I'll be giving that away. Every month, Lowbrow Customs sends me a $100 gift card to give one of you to say thank you. And, uh, man, I can't thank them enough. They're a big supporter of the show. If you needed anything for your motorcycle, your chopper, make sure you check lowbrowcustoms.com first. 
Dude, I'm telling you, that shit ships fast. So check them out. Now, this weekend, there was a lot going on. Me and my buddies were at the Mint in Las Vegas, fucking throwing down really hard. It was great seeing all the racers, uh, hanging out with my crew. The Safety Third Racing team was just fucking amazing. Carlos built a badass badass bike, an iron head, and we were able to successfully complete the race this year. Uh, The bike was not... Dude, we had some problems. We'll talk about that. We'll get into the logistics, but just know, had a great fucking time. Uh, Mama tried flat out Friday was this week, and I, I hated to miss that, but it uh, looks like you guys had a good time. Uh, Jason Rogers, you fucking broke your leg. Dude, come on. In practice, you are fucking dangerous in practice. I love it. Heal up quick, dude. Um, next year's Mama Tried will be March 4th, 5th, and 6th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The weekend after that will be The Mint, March 9th through the 13th. Both of those weekends are part of Bike Week in Daytona, Florida. Uh, I talked to Richard from VM. He is picking up the torch and taking off with the Boogie East Show at Annie Oakley's. So pay attention for more details for that. Boogie East is coming back, Daytona. Uh, I believe the second weekend, that's Saturday, same weekend as the Mint, Billy Lane's doing his Sons of Speed race. I am trying to get something put together to come out and run that. So got some shit to do. Uh, the Texas Fandango will be April 1st through the 3rd. April 8th through the 10th is the Mezcal Moto Rally. Uh, Tennessee Motorcycle Music Revival is May 19th through the 22nd. And there's a lot more going on. Uh, Those are the big dates right now. Um, Dude, this show, like all shows, is brought to you by MCShopTees.com, your T-shirt of the month club. The only way to support every local motorcycle shop. It's like a magazine subscription, but you get a T-shirt every month. I guess it's not like a magazine subscription at all. It's like any fucking subscription. You get a T-shirt, dude. Uh, Every month we feature a different motorcycle shop from around the country. And we do a one-off, limited-run batch of T-shirts that we ship straight to your door. And, dude, each shirt comes with a postcard that tells you about the shop, where they're located, and what they specialize in. It's a really, really bitching concept, and you learn about shops all over the country. And, dude, it's, it's fucking awesome. It really is awesome. And I'm not just saying that because I started this company four years ago, and we're killing it. I want you to be a part of it. It's like Christmas every month. You get a new T-shirt. Uh, I've changed up the way it works in the last couple months. If you're paying attention to the interwebs on the gram, you find out what shop it is, uh, but the the actual art on the T-shirt is a surprise every month. So it's like a just a little Christmas present, you know. It's your birthday. Every single month you get a shirt. This month's featured shop is Burke's V-Twin out of Tiverton, Rhode Island. Uh, Richard, formerly of VNM, did some badass artwork, dude. It's fucking sick. Uh, it's a mermaid on a chopper, dude. It's a mermaid. Okay, I've just ruined the fucking surprise, but it's sick. I saw it. They're being printed and shipped. 
I sent over the postage yesterday. Uh, we're trying to get on the ball to get everybody's shirt out well before Christmas. Uh, next month's featured shop. Who is it? Oh, fuck. I don't even remember who it is. Mm, oh, I know who it is. It's actually a shop from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Pay attention to the gram. We'll release that soon with some pictures. I sent Liam, uh, Mr. Chopper Chug, up there. Actually, he was just going to, to uh, Mom and Try It, so I had him stop by a friend's shop, take some photos, and um, putting together some artwork. We'll release that soon. Till then, check out Burke's V-Twin at a Tiverton. I hope you were signed up in time to get his shirt. He'll have some leftovers at his shop, so if you're in that area and you can swing by his shop, there you go. You won't have a chance to buy him on the internet anymore, but you might be able to pick one up at his shop. mcshoptees.com. Sign up now so you do not miss another shirt. If you would like to gift this for the holidays, that's awesome. Uh, I'm just probably not going to be able to get you a shirt before Christmas if you haven't signed up yet. You can sign up for monthly charges where you just get charged at the beginning of each month for your shirt, or you can buy three, six, and 12-month packages. You can buy it as a gift either way. Uh, you know somebody in your family who needs some fucking new T-shirts. I know you do. And uh, this is a great way to do it. Surprise for both of you. MCShopTees.com. All right, what you've all been waiting for. The Danger Zone sign from Alan Wayne Nichols. That's right. The Tattoo Troubadour is going to one of my patrons who signed up at DangerDanceTalkShop.com. And you can do the same if you sign up now. You'll get a chance at winning. God knows what we're going to give away next year. One five five five. Dude, 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 dude. That's a big number. One five 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 is Josh Kramer out of Barter Bar Bartlesville, Oklahoma. You just want a danger zone sign. Put together, painted, assembled, beat, fucking melted by Alan Wayne Nichols, the Tattoo Troubadour. Thank you, sir. Thank you for contributing through my Patreon. With your funds, I've been able to fucking ride my hog down the road, dude, and record these podcasts. Sign up now so you do not miss the next giveaway. Thank you, Josh Kramer. All right, let's get into the podcast with Nick Ferringer from Cycle Electric. Dan. What's happening? I just got done washing the dirt bike after a little night ride. Damn, did you, did you, was that from tonight, the video you just posted? Yeah. Foxy, you're a video editor too, huh? I did that while I was driving home from the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's amazing what you can do in the year 2021. It's horrible. I just try to get it all done, man. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't do it immediately, then it doesn't get done. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm making a push. I'm trying to make a push for 20. What year is it? 2021. Yeah, yeah, 22. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, making a push. Oh, dude. Yeah, I put out a video this week that I filmed this summer. I really, I just didn't even think it was ever going to get done. And I sent, I sent it to a guy. I'm like, hey, when you get time. And then he never got time, so I forgot about it. And then he sent me a video the other day, and he was like, are you thinking something like this? And I'm like, oh, fuck, that was so much fun. God damn, I wrote some sweet shit this year. So that was your, your video on the uh, on the Pan, Pan America, your kind of cross-country ride you were doing? Yeah, when I rode to Sturgis this year to hang out with the fucking Lead Sled Boys. Okay, yeah, I, I watched that. That was cool. That was it made me want to go do it. <laughs> good, good. Have you ever ridden like a, a, a bigger, oh, that's right, you have like a KTM, what, 690? The 950, like the last carbureted one. And uh, I did do a ride from like Taos, New Mexico to Colorado Springs all on like, I'll say like 60, 70% dirt road. So that was, you know, a mini adventure. I had a mountain bike strapped to the back the whole ride, so that was pretty wild. That's insane, dude. Oh, there's some great riding up there, dude. Uh, I fucking love it up there, actually. We talked about this. That's right. I'm going hunting, right? You went, you rode right past where I'll be hunting in a few weeks. Oh, cool. Do you, so do you go up there much during the summer? No, not as much as I'd like to. When I raced full time, I had a little more screw around time, but now my time off is primarily spent racing, so I don't get to do the fun stuff. So I'm trying to figure out how to balance that. Yeah, dude. I mean, your schedule has got to be packed. So how many hours are you working up there with your dad, Cycle Electric? I mean, quote unquote full time, but uh, I. You know, I dedicate a lot of time to racing, so I, I get the time necessary to competently do that. Um, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of sacrifices all around, and it's kind of – it's just the time of the year is like, okay, you know, right now I'm racing. So this last summer I snuck away for a couple of weeks to go to Europe and race. But um, then, you know, through the summer there's a lot of races that might be five hours from home. They might be 12 hours from home, and I just try to – get to the race with enough time to like walk the track and, and, and line up, but still get some work done through the week. So well, um, dude, I mean, works up, work, go ahead. I was say, work suffers, work suffers through the summer, but we're trying to get, uh, get caught up and, and get ahead on stuff in the winter. But well, dude, I mean the stuff that you're competing in the riding that you do, it's amazing to me that you cannot that you can work another job and not spend the rest of the time just training to stay in shape to do that kind of shit. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I used to do it full time, and then I, I tried to quit, but I'm not a good quitter. And uh, <laughs> the the, the full time racing I was doing was like traditional enduro, so it was more of a game of speed. And of course, you had to be fit. But now this whole extreme enduro thing has really been growing, and I've been at the leading edge of it. Not that I'm the top guy, but since it's kind of manifested in the U.S., I've been the guy trying to push it into the mainstream, like make it a legit series in the U S and of course I was thinking like, this is what I want to do. But now there's, there's guys that are paid big salaries to do it. And I'm just trying to do it part time and I'm still trying to be a contender. So it's a, it's a twisted effort where it's like, you got these guys that are really full-time fit and practiced. And I'm like 
slide in sideways to get to the race on time, all haggard and strung out and, and still hanging on. So it's fun. It's fun. That is awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, th- I really feel like racing, you know, not being disconnected from the racing. I, I would assume that racing has kind of taken uh, a hit with the whole social media thing where there's, you know, the companies are sponsoring people that aren't even, you don't have to make it on a podium to get in a magazine or get in front of eyes these days. You know, people are doing that by just making crazy videos, uh, you know, and people aren't watching TV as much. So I imagine that, uh, I don't know, I would assume that racing's taken a hit compared to what it was in the 90s. You know, that's an interesting uh, angle or, or view. And I would agree. I think racing really took a hit like in that 2008 crash, like things the the prime time the the big dollars that were spent on racing they never really they never really came back after that yeah um, but then you know social media I'd say really took root and got big from that point on and we do see a lot of these these moto or enduro or adventure uh, uh, influencers and, and people are doing a lot of rad stuff that they're not competing at least not at a high level some of them may dabble in it and they get they get spanked by the guys that have that fierce, you know, edge. And, uh, I've always been a, you know, a fierce, you know, guy going, trying to go fast. But now that I've, my faster years are behind me and I have a bit of a name for myself on the Enduro side, I'm trying to, I'm trying to take root more and being a bit more of a, I don't know, active with, with doing some videos and social media, getting out and about like, and one one cool thing that I kind of took for granted that I never really put a lot of effort into aside from at work was like going to Fuel Cleveland and meeting like a whole nother segment of motorcycle people. You know, like I grew up around this stuff, but just never really like shook too many hands in it. And, uh, you know, that's where we met. So, like, it's kind of a rad angle. I want to try to grow. Well, so I now. find the people that really enjoy motorcycles enjoy it all. You know, like I know there's people riding around choppers that have never had a dirt bike that would enjoy seeing the things that you're capable of doing on a dirt bike. So and I think it's good. And it was cool to see you at Cleveland shaking hands and answering questions. And, uh, you know, I've never seen a cycle electric presence anywhere. So to be right there, you know, with you and seeing you do it, it was really cool. Uh, And there's not many brands or companies like yours in the industry that, you know, they're so, it's just a staple, you know, like I don't really know of any other, you know, you don't have to go to these shows and, and sell products. You already, you're trying to, you know, meet the demand that's already there. But I thought it was really cool of you to, to show up and just talk to the people. Uh, I don't know. I think it, it's, it's, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, Pat, I mean, he's obviously a mutual friend. I've been riding dirt bikes with him for years and, and he's always been very active in the, in the scene. And, uh, he was, you know, we, we met up after riding dirt bikes one Wednesday night and with, you know, as with Pat, as it will happen, a few shots went down and he's like, you need to come to fuel Cleveland. I was like, all right, I'll go. And uh, I knew it would be <laughs> it more was of that a, easy, huh? I just, yeah, I, I knew I wanted to mix it up and I knew it would be a bit more of a, a social fun thing, but I wanted to bring the brand because primarily with, with dad, uh, any, any outing we would do were the big industry shows that honestly, those speaking of things, taking a hit to social media, like 
social media really took the buzz out of what those used to be for the, the industry. And now most of the active gatherings are more social oriented, like these, uh, you know, call it like lifestyle events, like just literally just fun stuff. Like you see these, you know, rallies getting bigger, like the, the smokeouts and the, this isn't, I don't know. I'm not totally cued in all of them, but I, yeah. I've been wanting to try to get into some of the stuff and fuel was just, it's a weekend off and it was close. And, um, you didn't even yeah, take the I, weekend off. Hell, you went and raced on Sunday. I did. I did. And I, yeah, I won a turkey. It was <laughs> crazy. Is that for real? That wasn't even a joke, huh? The winner got a turkey. No, that was, that was for real. Yeah. So I, I headed uh, four hours west, due west from Cleveland to this kind of local regional enduro Sunday. And we were feeling the effects of really enjoying fuel. But, you know, the, <laughs> the, the show must go on. And, uh, I, I won this race by a few minutes, and at, at the end, I found out that this was called the Turkey Creek Enduro. It's the 50th anniversary of this Enduro, and they, they informed me that back in the day, they used to give out turkeys, and 25 years ago, they stopped because PETA got all bummed out. Well, they just kept it on the low on the radar, but they're like, we got turkeys. They showed this thing to me, man. It's a 45-pound, big old Tom, oh, and I was my like, gosh. I, like, I am not putting that in my sprinter van, guys. I was like, I don't want to say no, but like this van is the nicest thing I own. I don't want it all, whatever a turkey's going to do. I was like, but if you guys get it down south to this lo local event next weekend, you bring it to me. I'll be ready. And they brought it to me. So I, I housed this, uh, this guy for about a week and, uh, he's, he's ready for the, uh, Dayton dirt riders Friendsgiving tomorrow night now. So. Oh, that's awesome. You're going to share it with the Red boys. Rest in peace. Um, he was a, he was, yeah, he was a happy bird, but uh, now he's going to make a bunch of happy motorcycle riders. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What a great idea to do right before Turkey Day. Give away a turkey yeah. as a prize. Yeah, I imagine that was the intent, but uh, yeah, I was not prepared for it. And honestly, it was like, of all prizes, this really cost me a lot. Like the effort <laughs> of doing all this, but... The, uh, the old timers that started this club 50 years ago were there and they're just the smile on their face. I was like, I can't not do this. And like, they called in and checked on the Turkey. I, I told them what was going to happen and they were so stoked. It just warmed them up. I was like, yeah, I gotta do it. You gotta, I don't know. Hey, those Play traditions along. really mean something, dude. You know? Yeah. I think, yeah, this modern day, there's not a lot of real stuff. It's just like, so that was, there was something real to do. <laughs> yeah yeah those guys will be stoked tomorrow night too yeah are you gonna fry yeah. him up out there or what i uh, well i was talking to gino he's kind of our uh master chef when these gatherings really take off and uh he's talking about probably trying to smoke it i'm gonna bring it to him first thing in the morning and we're gonna set him up and uh come dinner time we'll have something scrumptious oh that's awesome so. Damn, well, I yeah. I can't thank you guys enough for letting me come and ride uh, that Wednesday. You know, Zach letting me ride his bike was, I mean, it really, it was like a, it, it was almost like a curse as well, because now I have, I found a fucking local spot, uh, this little, I mean, I think it's maybe 60 acres, they got a fucking... They got an eight-mile single-track loop. They got, like, a trial section. 
They got some sand shit by the river. They got endless possibilities. And I What's it called? I haven't missed a month. I haven't missed a Wednesday yet. I'm going back out there tomorrow. And I fucking put a deposit in on a fucking brand new KTM today. Oh, yeah, found, man. You got the bug. Oh, dude, big time. I found that same bike that Zach let me ride. It's the last one in Texas, dude. The fucking last XCFW, I believe is what it was. The last one in Texas is out in Lubbock. And now I'm hunting another one down for my buddy Randall because he wants to get in on it too. Now, the place is called Twin Hills. Okay, I don't... I don't know. I've, I've ridden like a number of spots in Texas and it, I was going to say it sort of sounds familiar, but then again, you just pretty much described Texas. So I don't know. <laughs> but well, tell this, those, I was going to say, tell those guys in Lubbock that you're buying that bike because you rode it at my local club. Cause I've, I've been to that shop. I know that is it the cycle shack. Is that where you're getting it from? Yeah. Uh, cycle shack or age. I don't know. I called a bunch of places. So I don't even remember, you know, I was gonna say tell, t- Tell them you went and rode with me in my spot because I have a, I've got a story about being out there near those guys and uh, they might remember. Tell me, <laughs> tell tell me so I can. I'm gonna stop by on the way back from the mint to pick the bike up. So tell well, me. I was out. I was out in that part of the country. We there's a national enduro. This would have been like 2000. I don't know, like 12 ish, 11. Okay, 10, I don't know, a while ago. And I was racing for the factory Husseberg team. It was a short-lived uh, European brand in the enduro scene. And I'd, I'd stopped in the shop to maybe get some supplies. I'd, I needed a shock spring, so I'd, I broke a shock spring, and the KTM stuff was interchangeable. And uh, I met this guy in there, and he happened to have the right spring for me. Let me borrow it. So I put it on this bike. He just let you borrow the spring. Yeah. And, I mean, this, this guy, he was, he was happy to uh, – kind of assist in my efforts and uh he, i just knew it's like look i can i can pay you we can barter and he's just like just take this and, and go do what you got to do we'll hash it out later and i mean that's that's how people are in this sport in this industry it's just like if if i got it and i got it to spare man you go for it we will we will settle dude i find settle that up, that so. it's like that in all racing Everybody wants to win, but they also want to help. Nobody wants to win illegitimately, at least in the circuits I've been in. Everybody's willing to help in the pits. Yeah, and this was, you know, guy, a guy that was, like, a little older, like, probably doing well, and, and you know, he's like a, a snap-on rep or something. And uh, so he's just, he's just happy to help a young gun. But uh, uh, so anyway, I put the spring on the bike. I went out to post, and it was, like, training day. Actually, a buddy of mine's family ranch and within minutes i took a little spill and i was i picked the bike up some gas squirted out of the top of the gas cap because there's a little like check ball in there to let it breathe but not let gas out yeah well i always take i'd take the check balls out because they get stuck and the tanks could swell so um this turns out to be a liability because gas squirted out as i ignited a little like patch of grass on fire with the header and uh so i'm picking the bike up and it's just it all happened so quick the gas had hit this little tuft of grass that was like smoldering and it just flamed up real quick. And I was like, Ooh, Whoa. And then all of a sudden the flames, the flames started like following the side of the bike. It just like, before I knew it, plastic was melting. And I'm like, Oh uh, my gosh, man. dude. So I was, I was trying to find like a, the least flammable spot to set this bike. There's, there's no, like it was happening so quickly. Like I didn't want to like pat it out with my gloves and get molten plastic on my hands and, 
I was just thinking about everything that could go wrong. And so what did I do? I leaned it up against the bush. <laughs> it's just, I think I, I pushed the bike like down into a ravine and then it just parked on this bush. And I was like, Oh crap. And then, uh, this bush started, uh, kind of smoldering a little and then it got so hot. Those, these bushes out there, they had a lot of oils in them and there's a certain flashpoint, man, it, things got hot enough and it just exploded into an inferno. And, uh, so everybody that was at the spot, like came riding over and they're trying to like throw dirt on it and do dirt donuts to like smother it. But this thing was out of control. They, they ended up, we, they got help. Like I think a couple helicopters, some road graders. Oh my gosh, dude. And, uh, the, the local newspaper said a hundred acres burned. Um, so we, we ended up getting out of there and we just shifted gears the rest of the day. Like we went into town and just had to, that was too much excitement. Dude. So I, excitement. I raced the hare and hound in post this year out oh, at that same okay. ranch. I, I imagine. And that was a fucking it, really cool spot. I didn't know that you lit a hundred acres on fire. Yeah, and actually, like, when that happens out there, while unfortunate, I guess it grows back more beautiful because that's how it works. So um, that's great. But, you know, it's it's wild out there. I mean, it's so rugged because while it looks flat, like, if you're to the untrained eye, when you're really traversing out there, there's all these washes and gullies and ridges, and it's like you can't just go tearing out because there's stuff that will bite you, and it's, it's way bigger than it looks. Dude, I had no idea. That was my first thought. I was like, oh, I've been out there before. It's all flat. This race will be fucking super easy. I'll, I'll ride my Sportster. Uh, <laughs> dude, it was so fucking brutal, man. That's man. cool that you've ridden out there. Uh, yeah, what I've, else have you ridden I've, in Texas? Uh, like back in 2006, maybe, give or take a year. I raced an event called the Red Bull Last Man Standing. It was one of the first, like, big hard enduros they ever had. This was actually the second year for it, um, where some European guys came out, including, like, David Knight. And uh, that was a big to-do. That was in uh, – Munster? Around Decatur. Uh, is that – I know it's, it's near Decatur, but that might be Munster. It's called Red River yeah, Motorcycle that's Trails. It. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they don't have events there anymore, but you can still ride there. And if you're if you're not far from there, it's a really cool place to ride. No, if I um, wish that place that was my first thought was that's where I was going to start going on Wednesdays. But it's just, you know, fucking two hours away. So uh, okay. I mean, yeah. it's it's almost close enough. Like the spot that I'm going to is an hour away. So, but okay, that is yeah, a good spot. A I've ridden out there as well. I actually, I was riding on one of the sandbars in the river and tried to jump this wash, and I, di- I didn't think that it was going to be as deep as it was, and I fucking just, I, f- I mean, I sank my Sportster in that river. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we got it on video, though, so it was worth it. I didn't. Okay, yeah. Not a, not a fail for, the, for a lack of, you know, nothing. Yeah, yeah, but, we got, we so got I've, some. I've, I've, I've raced at that venue, um, there's been some like other Red Bull hard enduro events in the Decatur area. And actually I'm heading down in a week, week and a half for another one. It's actually down in like a near Austin. It's at some like rally uh, training facility. They're having like a, a Jeep four fest event and a big dirt bike race there. So 
I'm working my way down from there after Thanksgiving. And uh, so Texas, I, I go there semi-regularly. Um, but I've, I've been to most of the corners of the U.S. and to several different countries racing these dirt bikes. So it's, I just like getting around on them. I mean, going, going to different places and the different terrain and the different, different everything. I mean, back when we were in Cleveland, I just liked chasing down all the different dive restaurants we went to. Like, how about that? <laughs> on the scooters? The scooters, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was good. Well, so uh, Gary was telling me, he was like, I could tell he was just like eating himself up while we were doing the podcast with your dad. He wanted to hear about the Red Bull Romaniac so bad. And, <clears throat> dude, I went and watched some videos uh, after we talked earlier today, and that is fucking insane. I mean, so you went to Romania. Like, how did that come about? How did you, how did you get to Romania? Uh, it's something I've been wanting to do for probably six years. It's like the, that's the granddaddy of enduro, like hard enduro. And uh, okay, hold on. How about you explain to us because. You know, I'm sure a lot of people like me are not real familiar with this. What's the difference between a hard enduro and an enduro? So enduro is like traditionally racing motorcycles across like trail through the forest. It's like one big loop. You know, you go out for four hours or, or all just, I don't know, it's four hours is like a typical amount of time. But um, it's usually a big loop you do and your time for it or on it. Uh, like it to the traditional enduro has gotten pretty easy back in the old days. They used to race Harleys and triumphs and all these bikes that weren't really meant for off-road through the forest. And, uh, that was pretty darn hard. Like you had some real badass dudes that would wrestle these big bikes through the forest. And the, the bikes have gotten so good, like the modern enduro slash motocross bike, they're super capable. And yeah. then people are, people are just getting soft too. So like these events are just super fast and they're easy. And, uh, it just stopped, like really tickling my fancy. I'm just like, man, this is not the challenge I want. Like the only challenge is how fast can you thread the needle, like ripping this bike through these trees and not die. I just, I got over it. Yeah. And so, and meanwhile, like over the last 15 years in Europe, something called hard enduro had been developing where it's like a combination of trials and enduro where these, these enduro races are on terrain. It's so hard. It requires trial skill to even get through the course and uh, your average speed, it's not 30 miles an hour. It's like closer to 8 or 12 miles an hour. Is it really? Um, it just, it de depend yeah, depending on the, the event itself. Um, so one of the classic, like, hard enduros is Romaniacs. There's also Ersberg in Austria that's in, like, an iron ore mine. And yeah, then, uh, that might have like, been the first like, one I ever saw. Okay. Yeah, that one's popular. And, and so this form of racing has really been kind of, starting to get kickstarted here in the States. Like the last eight, six years, certain races have gotten big and now we've got a series developing. So, uh, uh, so Romaniacs has always been on my radar cause it's a four and a half day long race. And it's called an enduro, like a hard enduro rally where you cover so much ground and it, the train is so big. Like it's not at crazy elevation. Like you start, like at relatively low elevation, but you climb like several thousand feet. Like you can have uphills that just go on for minutes and minutes and you're still in like rich soil and indigenous trees. Like, 
like you're under canopy or not like up in high alpine stuff. So yeah, it was all the coolest stuff to me. Like I like riding in the forest. I like, you know, dirt you can sink your tires into and just, and just, you know, rip it. So of all the years, I never made it happen. And uh, life kind of aligned to a point where about a year ago, I was like, I'm going. And, uh, you know, I work with a trainer to kind of keep me sharp fitness wise. And, and we just, I was like, dude, what can I do to prepare for, four days in a row of potentially like six, seven hours on the bike. And he's like, I don't know how you prepare for that, but all we can do is just work on your durability and let's just get as fit as we can. So, um, I did that and I practiced a lot of my trials bike and I raced a bunch through the, you know, the last year. And then, uh, I flew over like two weeks early, middle of this July. And, uh, I literally rented a bike and brought like a suitcase full of parts and I built, I, I built a, so I, I went into the uh, Romanian importer, which is just a real small shop, but the most genuinely just rad dudes, you know, talk about just being dropped in another world, you know, trying to kind of bridge the communication barrier, like food's a little different. You're all jet lagged and, you know, it's like dirt bikes, a dirt bike, you know, there's just like, let's, you know, they saw me doing things to a bike they'd never seen done before. They had some different ways of doing things. And we, we worked side by side, despite not really, really being able to talk to each other much. And we, um, they, they put all, helped me put all my crazy parts on their brand new rental bike. I yeah. talked to the factory and, and I like worked between the importer and the factory. I was like, can you guys like get to help me get this bike lined up? So it was like, I got a little support from the manufacturer, but ultimately like I paid like retail for this three week, you know, rent a wreck. You know, I, I rented this new bike and just rent, rented this new bike and put like 36 running hours on a dirt bike and, in just the most hellacious terrain. So what, now what company is this? What manufacturer? Sherco. Sherco. Okay. Sherco is a French enduro manufacturer, which actually started out making trials bikes like over 20 years ago. But, um, I've been riding these things for four years and I'm just thrilled with how they work. I mean, for what I do, like, it's just, they're fun and they work. And like, if I'm going over there and paying retail to rent a bike, I'm not going to go rent a bike. I don't believe in like, right. I, yeah. I, I pretty much, I pretty much bought half that bike. So, <laughs> um, and so I mean, it was so cool. So like, as soon as I got there, I, uh, these guys run enduro tours out of the importership because it's such a enduro Mecca. Like that is, their business is Enduro Tours and, and Romaniacs is like the big draw. So they have got people from all over the world that show up there to rent dirt bikes and they got guys to take you out and around. Like there was this big group of dudes from Israel that were riding and I'd never met anyone from there and they spoke good English. They seemed pretty cool. Um, I joined them for one of their tour days to like break this bike in and feel it out. And uh, it was so cool, like riding with people from all over the world. And then uh, I kind of got to blow their minds a little, like playing on the side of because the, they're going their speed and I'm like bored. So I'm like <laughs> going over the side, like going off the side of the trail, like hitting a boulder and like launching over some fallen trees and stuff. And all of a sudden they're like, where are you from? <laughs> from the DR, Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like we had a good time going out to dinner and stuff. And then the next day we shot like four hours away from where this, uh, this town of Sibiu was to go to a, my warm up race. It was this Romanian national hard enduro. 
And I was just like, seems like a good idea. Go figure out what start and, and finish means in Romanian and just try it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, man, I just continue to meet like great people that were stoked on what we we're doing, but what's funny, man, we get in this old van and I, the, the, like my rental mechanic barely spoke any English, but he was nice. So you got to take the mechanic I, with you. That was part of the rental. Yeah. For like a hundred euros a day, you get a mechanic and I'm like, well, heck yeah. Hell like, yeah. Sign him up. It's, it's cheaper than a rental car because the mechanic comes with a van. So like you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't rent a car for that much. So like I had a private chauffeur slash mechanic and I thought he would be useful translating. I was fixing to say, was he that, a translator? Well, this is what's funny is when we stopped that first night going to this race, we were at this bed and breakfast and he starts arguing with the lady behind the desk. And I said, what's the problem? Why, there's no reason for hostility here, man. Like we can work this out. And, and he's just like, she speaks Hungarian. I don't speak Hungarian. I only speak Romanian. And I was like, well, I don't speak either of those, man. This is a problem. <laughs> it's like, where are we? But it was, you know, like talk about a leap of faith, just jumping in a van with a guy you just met and driving four hours across. It's like, it's July. They're in a heat wave. It's like 90 some degrees and the heat stuck on in the Sprinter van. And we're just like going through these old world towns and looking at castles. And it's like such a trip. That but, is so uh, awesome. I got, I got through that race and, I wasn't even that far into the race and I realized I might be in over my head. The stuff that they race motorcycles on blew my mind. And I always look for the stupidest stuff to put my dirt bike on. And it's like, these guys are, they live in such a different world. Like what they see is challenging to me. I'd never imagined. So, you know, you can have all this practice and skill, but unless your mind is ready to like, wrap a motorcycle around something you'd never seen before it's like how how are you doing that <laughs> so i um uh, i had some trailside chats after the different days finishes with these guys are like oh where are you from you ride very fast but why you uh, no make traction and i'm like <laughs> i was like well you see i'm from a place called ohio and we don't have hills that go like straight up for 10 minutes but thanks for the comments <laughs> Um, you don't make so, traction. Yeah, and they were giving me tips and hints and things, and and ultimately I I learned quick. It's just I saw what they were doing, made some like just chatting at dinner with people about techniques and things, and I spent like a week training between the two races, and then uh, then Romaniac started, which you know something I'd wanted to do for a year, and I I'd, I'd put so much into being there. I was I was pretty like. Uh, it was intimidating and a little scary, but like, I was just, I was so focused on it, man. We, uh, there's, there's five classes in Romaniacs. There's like your atom, iron, bronze, silver, and gold. Gold is, <clears throat> they say, if you go to their website to sign up, they say gold is meant for the top, like 15 guys in the world. And they, they don't expect anybody to finish if you're not like a top 15, top 20 in the world rider. Holy and, shit. Uh, and so I, I quote unquote ride gold or, you know, pro in, in the U S but I consider Romaniacs like that's next level. So what I did is I signed up for the silver class, which is like second from the top. Now the week before at that Romanian national, I rode gold because I thought this is a warm up. What happens if I jump in too deep? I'm not going to die. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, and actually there were some times in that race where we're going down something that 
stopping was no longer working and you couldn't see the bottom. So there were moments of like free fall in this event we were doing, just riding through dense forests, like hours from civilization, just thinking like getting hurt here would probably be this not good. It's, <laughs> I just, I wish I could just ex- extract all the visions and, re- and like memories I have from this event and play it. Like I wish I had a GoPro, man. The stuff we, I saw was I was slowing down to look around, and then I was getting passed. I was like, oh, crap, we're racing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's how I felt a lot of, not a lot, but many times this summer where I was just deep in the forest by myself, uh, you know, riding terrain that I would have thought would have been difficult on a dirt bike, and I was on that big-ass fucking Harley. And that's that's a real fear. Thinking about, you know, you can't think about what's going to go wrong in the moment. Uh, it just doesn't help at all. No, no, you have to be focused and you have to have, you know, you have to be deliberate in your actions on a motorcycle to stick it. And then that's what's cool about adventuring or play riding is you can say, I'm going to stop here, take this in. And then when I get back on, we're going to forge ahead. Yeah. But when you're racing in this terrain, like you cannot be sightseeing because, yeah, that's just it. Is you're you're riding stuff that nobody can imagine riding except for the top so many in the world, and and I'm over here like not paying attention. <laughs> no, so, not a good combination. Yeah. So okay, at that Romanian national, I think I finished ninth, and I was a little embarrassed because I was like, I I have high expectations. I wanted to do a little better, but I realized I was learning. I had a lot of fun, made some mistakes, moving ahead. So I mean, for, for your first I, race in another country. Ninth seems pretty fucking good for a hard enduro. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I was not bummed. It was a humbling experience, and I just I was in love with what I had just been doing. And I thought, man, I learned some things. Like, I I know I'd come back here and and, and yeah, and turn some Romanian heads. Yeah, but um, it, it just the fun factor alone. It's like this was one time when the result, the number on the result, really doesn't matter because the fun outweighed any anything on paper so um i took everything i learned and and and, uh you know started the the romaniacs event and the first day is like a prologue it's a short race it kind of stacks people up in their class to see the starting order for like the first big day and uh i think it was like a 30 minute race up in the hills traditionally it would be like on main street over a bunch of man-made obstacles but because of covid they kept us in the woods away from people really um Yeah, which honestly, I'd, I'd prefer that. I don't want to do the showboaty stuff where you're jumping tires and like excavator buckets and all crazy stuff you see on Red Bull TV. Like I'd rather be in the forest where, you know, you don't have all the flashing cameras. That stuff messes me up. So, <laughs> um, and so I, I won this, this prologue day, like in the silver division. I won it by like over a minute on a 30-minute race. And Damn. I was just, I was like, Ooh, okay, cool. And and some of the guys racing in my class were, uh, you know, top enduro racers from a couple other countries like Great Britain and Slovakia, and uh, just a number of guys that you know that's that's their jam and that's you know, kind of the level they compete at. And uh, I was like, okay, don't get too excited. I have over twenty hours of racing over the next week, so let's let's see how it stacks up. Yeah. Did and, anybody uh, think you were trying to sandbag? There were a couple guys who were like, what are you doing? He's sandbagging. Like they, yeah, that, like there were a few guys that, that gave me a hard time just teasing me. But 
generally everybody that's there knows you don't you don't show up your first year and ride in the gold class unless you are um like the defending champion from your country and like here in the u.s i'm somewhere between like fifth and tenth in the, in the states like in hard enduro stuff which i i consider myself pretty decent but i also know i'm there's a pretty big divide between me and my teammate cody webb who like dominates everything yeah. like there's things he can do that i can't and then he can he can like go around a, a course much faster than me and his heart rate stays like 25 percent lower it's like I'm really trying hard out here, guys. <laughs> so, so, and it, like you look at the amount of money I'm spending to be there. I was like, I can push my bike for free at home. I want to go out here and have a good time, learn, and uh, see if I can do all right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this race is all GPS guided. So the whole time you're following GPS uh, uh, tracks. It's like I'd never done anything like that. And you're in a different country. You're eating weird food. You're waking up at four in the morning. It's like. It's just everything. Everything about this was, uh, you Boring. know, it was like a mission. It was a mission, man. Like, just it was. It was an awesome, amazing mission I was on, and uh, I ended up winning days one through three. And uh, so I had like an eighteen. No, I had a, over a twenty-minute lead going into the final day, and uh, really fast-forwarding through actually all the racing. Um, yeah. So hold on, hold on. we got to backtrack. So. There's yeah. different days of racing, and, and there's different styles of racing each day, or it's just a different place? <clears throat> so, like, that first day was a prologue in, in the hills, and so after that, they, it seeds you for your starting order. So the next, the, the start of the first, we'll call off-road day, they have about a 100-kilometer track through the mountains. And you you get up, you leave Seabue, and uh, you trailer out to, like, where they start, you pick up your GPSs at like, I don't know, four thirty in the morning, and you, you go out here, and they they start you in like this was a uh, like a foggy valley, and then they started us across this wet, rusty bridge over this river, and then you're just you take off, you take off through the fog. I mean, there was there and, like well, hold on, well, hold on, you're you're skipping some things here, because uh, I have trouble like in my own country figuring out where I need to be at races sometimes. Like, how did you manage like? figuring all this out was i mean was there other people there helping you translate great question so my motorcycle rental and uh my uh my rental mechanic um vidu we called him vidu uh th those guys were on hand to assist me with claiming my gps is getting to the starting line they were trailering me there they made sure that the they prepped the bike overnight. They made sure it was super clean. It had fresh tires on it. Dude. Um, so, I mean, this, you cannot do this by yourself. And when I say you cannot, I mean, by the time you spend the money to be there, it's a drop in the bucket to have somebody make it feasible to even to get enjoy from one day the, to the next to day. enjoy it. Yeah. 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 So, and, and these guys, like, you know, this is their livelihood. Like this is, this is a big part of their business is, is being on hand to assist with, with this event. And, uh, so they, there was myself and then, uh, these two guys from Iceland that were also riding rental bikes from this company that I got became buddies with. And, uh, did they so bring all over traveled. all their suspension as well and set their bikes up? They, they weren't as diligent in making their rental bike, their bike. Um, 
but you know they they were more you know amateur intermediate riders where it's like i i can't just jump on any bike and make it do what i think i can do it's got to be my bike it's like you know they were going over uh, there more for the experience yeah yeah and uh and yeah they they added to my experience man they were fun dudes that's awesome (laughs) but uh it was so cool. So yeah, so th- these guys got us to the starting line, made sure we had everything we needed. You know, we had like a group message going on, like, okay, this is when we meet at the hotel. This is like, be here, do this. And so it was very like, for as nervous as I was, they're like, we got you, Nick. Like we got you. So, That's okay, awesome. Cool, cool. So the first day's off-road day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, much like, you know, the, the next couple of days. So we, we started this in this valley and uh, it's still like, it's so early that it's like dark in the woods and there's fog. So I'm struggling with like, this bike does not have a legitimate headlight. It's like a, it's like a headlight for style and legality purposes. It doesn't actually cut dark, Uh you know? (laughs) And then with the fog, um, it made it even worse. And then I'm also like hyperventilating because I'm so nervous. So I'm like breathing super (laughs) hard and my goggles are fogging up and my GPS like zoom levels aren't quite adequate for like the, differential and speed of going slow than going fast because like you start out you're like blasting down these gravel two tracks and then all of a sudden you know the markers and the gps's turn hard right and you go straight up this like wet grassy hill it's like okay n- no big deal well come to think of it it's not too often i practice going up wet grassy hills because who wants to ride on wet grass it was like so slippery i was like geez this isn't even like this isn't even a legit obstacle. Why am I having trouble here? And I'm hyperventilating and I can't see. So, <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I did the fight for traction and I had to pull my goggles to the side and I kind of, it takes me a while to relax in a race, you know, put the nerves aside and just some fatigue sets in and my brain says, you're riding your motorcycle now, man, just chill. Yeah. And, um, so I, I just kind of settled in and, and rode. And what's funny is I, I like when you wear a hundred percent goggles, they have this thing called like, they have this like goggle exchange program. It's how hard is it to like clean your goggles all day or be prepared for that. So they had these tents set up every once in a while where you could trade your goggles in and get new ones. So I oh, thought, at dude, the, I'm at totally the race. So you're like throughout the race. Oh, sick. so, so I pull in there and there's, it's like just some locals under a 100% branded tent. And what they're doing is they had a few spares, but then they were just, they were like cleaning the goggles from the guys that started in front of me and they're like recycling them. And like, if you don't take care when you clean goggles, you're just going to scratch them all to hell. And that's exactly what happened. I was wearing <laughs> somebody else's goggles that were all, so I, I pawned off my brand new goggles and accepted these like funky scratched up goggles. Now it's just like, this is not ideal, man. This is, this is not working for me. I was like, so, but like that's okay. So that was at the, at one of the uh, controlled gas stops. So what this is, it's like the gas areas, they, they provide gas to the event because you're so remote. And so you pull up to these mats and then they just have these like, they're not gallon jugs because it's metric. They're like, they're like five liter jugs and they fill them up with gas. They got two stroke gas and they got straight gas for the, uh, the injected bikes. And so you're like, okay, uh, I need the, the one, the orange gas. I need that. And you pull up, man, you whip your gas cap off. And you just got to like dump this stuff in. Cause you're like, and the guy you're racing with, he pulls up next to you and he's dumping gas in. Like you guys are racing while pouring this gas in. It's crazy. Um, 
And you're uh, and you're riding yeah, a two-stroke. Yeah, I'm riding a, a carbureted two-stroke, so you got to put the premix in it. So I always had to make sure I found the colored gas, and uh, just hope that they, you know, had a good measuring cup when they put oil in it. I'm very particular about my oil well, that, and all that. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Like most people are pretty particular about their mix. Uh, to just go up and trust the kids that are scraping goggles uh, with the gas mix is pretty brave. I think the, the goggle girls and the gas guys were different, but you know, I just you just got to have faith in it, man. I mean, they're you. It's in this is included in this in the very high entry fee is is you know the gas and the mixed gas, and it's just part of what they do. So faith is in their hands. There's nothing else you can do. Yeah. Um, and it never it worked out. You know, the this bike. Uh, seems pretty resilient and uh, the, the gas and the oil they had seemed to work out. So, um, but man, it was, it was so exciting. Like there's, there's parts of this race, like you, you do this big hill climb, you're climbing through the forest and all of a sudden you see the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, you see an opening in the trees, you come out of this hill climb and then you're crossing this pasture. And all of a sudden there's really no track anymore. You're just like following a line on your GPS and you're riding through this like high, plains prairie and then there's like wild horses running in front of you and oh, you're just come like following this, come you're following on. this i'm not even kidding this literally happened on the first day and you're just like you're you're running through this tall grass you're just hoping you don't hit a rock and you're trying to read read this ground and make sure you don't hit a hole and you're just like you're racing but you're trying to be smart and then all of a sudden it's like oh crap i'm off the line you got to cut to the left and then back into the trees and all of a sudden you're riding single track on this off camber and it gets like tighter and wigglier. And all of a sudden, like there's rocks on the high side and like a cliff down on the left side. And it's like, Oh man, slow down. Do not make a mistake or you're done. And, uh, that was really the name of the game. There's so many places where you can just throw it away. Wow. Um, not, you know, stuff that not necessarily was that hard, but like you just had to be mindful and, there was the hardest part of the whole race was actually on the first day. And there was a series of like uphill switchbacks that turned into like some rock ledges that you couldn't quite ride. And they were a little wet. And uh, I had to physically lift my bike over one of them. And the, the guy I was kind of racing with on the first day who ultimately got second on the race, I actually passed him there because he looped his bike off the top of one of these and it tumbled down. And he started to like, He's Slovakian, so I think, yeah, he's from Slovakia. He's, he tried to holler at me, like, hey, let's work together here. And I was just like, Rah! threw my bike up to the top. I was like, can't hear you. So is that like a thing? I mean, because some of those obstacles look like if you don't make it up, you do need a hand getting your bike up those motherfuckers. Making friends in these races goes a lot farther than making enemies because there are places where teamwork. I imagine this was a relatively dry year while it had kind of rained leading up to the first day. Like the ground was hard and dry, so everything was doable. But if it's like wet and slippery, you bet, man, you got to like team up on some of the stuff for sure. And uh, in, in years past, like teamwork, such as like you'd have a team come out to the woods with a tow rope and tow you up. Like they, they outlaw that stuff. Like you are not allowed to accept help from non non-competitors so wow um if, if you're in over your head like it definitely happens like the top pros in the gold class there's times where they're helping each other up and uh so so this you know i i wasn't against helping him but i thought if i can put just enough effort in to get my bike up i'm not going to spend you know exert energy over twice the amount of time helping him when 
I know I could gap him here. And I did. I gapped like I gapped him by like eight or 12 minutes. I don't know, something like that. Like I put a bunch of time on him that first day. And when I finished, it was just like I'm in control of this race. Damn. So we, we finished. We finished about where we started, you know, that same valley. And, um, you know, they have like some pasta meal and you're hanging out there in the sun waiting for the rest of the, the Sherco rental guys to finish their respective classes because we all ride a little bit different track like it it's braided like some of it goes together some of it splits off and then you rejoin here and there and it's amazing that over four days of racing there's five different tracks over each day wow but it's it's a monumental effort to put this on so what was really exciting about this event is when you start the second day you don't come back you actually like the the first night after after the first off-road day they said all right, guys, bring your uh, bags for the bivouac night. And I'm like, what's a bivouac? And I guess that has, it's like an overnight camping yeah. location. Like you, you, you give this big sack and, and you give them a sleeping bag and some clean gear. And, you know, I had some snacks and stuff. I found these little cans of like this fish salad they sell there. And for some reason that seemed like a good idea. <laughs> and, uh, I rented like a tent. Everybody could rent like a tent that'd be fully set up with an air mattress in it. So for, 50 bucks like that's your accommodations and uh so you, we raced all day the second day which was an absolute blast there's some fun flowy trail lots of good climbs some scary ass downhills their theory in romania is gravity will bring you down they don't even they don't give a fuck <laughs> that's fucking crazy there's, there's stuff i was skiing down beside my bike i'd never done anything like that in my life but um like off to the like side like on the side of your bike yeah, not even straddling it. Correct. Like my dad always taught me, it's safer to ride it than to to walk it. And I was always a believer in that. But I see so many people walking their bike, I just lost all my confidence. And I walked my bike down one or two of these. And in hindsight, I probably could have rode down a few more of them. But if if things get away from you, like if if the rear end starts walking a little sideways because it's so light, and if it clips a rock and it just throws you just a little off balance you're off balance tumbling downward. And if you fall, it's like if you tip over downhill, you might actually be falling 30 feet before you hit something. So Gosh. that's, you know, it's a major ouchie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it, it, I mean, yeah. So like, like I said, the, the hardest actual like effort for me was on that first day, but then lots of, you know, scary downhills, just crazy traversing terrain at speed and just tackling like just off-road stuff between rocks and switchbacky hills and all sorts of crazy stuff but what, what was, was so cool at the end go ahead oh uh, what was so cool is at the end of that second day like literally we're out in the wilderness crossing this finish line and then you you basically you you impound your bike where nobody's allowed to touch it like no mechanic help you're not allowed to change your tires or nothing so I pulled over the side of the trail and like, I start checking all my nuts and bolts and spokes before I impound it. And then, uh, once I impounded it, you, I went over to this campsite and basically all of like 500 some racers gather in this area where, uh, they had tents set up and a, they had like a, a pig on a spit, which I thought it was poor planning that they just fired this damn pig up when we got there. I was like, we're going to be hungry. <laughs> this takes longer than a couple hours to cook a pig, man. Like, well, luckily but, you had your fish salad. Yeah. But 
I'll tell you, though, it was wild because it was a bit of a heat wave there. Like, it was in the 90s, and we're all camped out in the sunny valley with no wind. And uh, there was a cool stream running beside of it. So, like, naturally, you go over there and cool off. And I saw a lot more than I really ever wanted to see there, man. Europe, they do a little differently. They're pretty <laughs> liberal. Just letting it hang, man. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's I what like, I was well, going to ask not... a second ago is what the temperature was like during all this. And it was so it was hot it, all day long when you're riding? It was warm, but, you know, fortunately, if it's like really wet conditions and warm, you're working a lot harder, going slower, and you're covered in mud. Like you kind of get some more like more apt to kind of like suffocate in that. But this like I want to say this is a relatively easy, enjoyable year because conditions were so prime, like being dry where you could just I could keep moving like, you know, Honestly, like in summary, like I think I could have ridden in a gold class and not easily, but like definitely finished. And it's hard to say where I would have placed, but I had a very enjoyable experience riding in the silver class with it being dry, where it's like I didn't have to work as hard as I thought, but I was racing so damn hard. The guys I was racing against were being real aggressive. And it's like, I felt like a lot of the time I was racing straight up cross country races or like a traditional enduro for five hours a day, every day. <laughs> so like it was, it was a crazy experience. It's much more of a race than like a, like a gnarly survival thing that I expected it to be. But, um, but that's what was so wild about having a camp night is like, we didn't have the mechanics. We didn't have help and, you know, more or less rough in it. Like the food wasn't ideal. And nobody could go to bed until like 11 o'clock at night because it was so hot. And then, you know, we had to wake up at like 4.35 in the morning. So, like, I did not get my beauty rest. I was like, dang on, I'm tired. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> so that was day That was day two. And day you, two, so we you, started. You won day two as well. Yeah, one day two, extended my lead, and then, uh, uh, you know, wake up all froggy eyed and bushy tailed in that tent and, you know, grab your breakfast and, and walk. Like it was like a mile to the dang claim your bike from impound. Like I thumbed a ride on the back of some Romanians dude bike to get from impound to camp. I didn't know how far it actually was. I had to walk down there the next morning. I was like, Whoa, this is a hike in boots. And, uh, so were your mechanic wasn't even there that night. No, it was, we were, like as a crow flies, it might've been, I don't know, like 60 K or something, but through the mountains, I guess it was like a four hour drive to get there. Gotcha. So they, what they did is they just, they were up front and they told all the families and all the support crews. They said night off for everyone. You guys go to town, you know, go drink beer, stay away. They, they didn't want people coming into the, 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 uh, camp out night, just, they wanted to keep it a controlled environment to kind of keep it in a, a level playing field. Yeah. So, which that's what was wild is typically you change tires every day and they did loosen the, uh, the restrictions they allowed for a tire change at the lunch break on day one. So, or I'm sorry, lunch break at, at day two. So you could kind of have a relatively new tire to start day three. Gotcha. Um, so how that works is like in the middle of these off-road days, there's like a, a, like a midday control stop where they stop you, they write down your time and you're allowed, I think 20 minutes to go to your, your support crew. And they're, they've like driven way out into wherever the heck you are. Like 
you're out some cow pasture way afar from anywhere. And uh, they've just like set up. I mean, you know how it's, it's like going to any rally or something. You just got like vans and tents everywhere and everybody's got their stuff set up. It's like a pop-up city over the course of a morning. Yeah. And um, so you pull in and they're going over the bike, checking the air filter and the brake pads and they're shoving watermelon and, and bananas in front of me. And um, apparently I must've like ate more watermelon than anyone there. Cause before the end of it, like I had some, I, they, they all knew me as the watermelon man or something like well, that. Well, I, I mean, was, I know you as the watermelon after seeing this fucking interview on the YouTubes. Okay. Yeah. This girl so you was know asking, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Tell me what that girl looked like because she sounded hot. Maybe that was just the accent, but. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, she, she was, she was definitely always close by with the camera and doing the interviews. And, uh, she's a pretty rad chick. I, I was, I was in such a zone. I really didn't get to know her at first, but like she's actually stayed in touch after the event and she wrote uh, like a magazine article. Um, she must've dug my thirst for watermelons or something. Really? That uh, made it into some magazines as well, huh? I, I don't know. I think just maybe some local publications and stuff, but, uh, just, I mean, an American comes in there. I'm the first American to win any class there. And, uh, really and not only that. Yeah. That's fucking yeah, I mean, cool. There's been a number of Americans go there and make attempts at gold and, and some like contenders that could have in silver, but to actually stick four and a half days of racing in another country and, and train, it's so wild. Like that's why it was such a rush, man. I mean, you're, you're, you're just battling the unknowns and all those challenges for over such a course. Um, it's just a freaking experience. Yeah, that's fucking rad. So day three, did you come out on top again? Day three came out again on top. I extended my lead to just over 20 minutes and it was like, I was starting to get excited, but I knew it was like, do, do not get excited. Do not get cocky. Cause you can lose it all by just sliding off some hill and you can lose an hour, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's more time to lose than there is to gain in any situation when you're like this. So I told myself, just be smart and, uh, you know, don't take any unnecessary chances, but I also can get a little wild. You know, I just, I just get sandy. I'm like just riding hard and, <laughs> and, uh, being aggressive. And so, the, on the first day, because I started, I, I won that prologue, they let me start third. Like, that's an advantage to start third because a navigation race, you can catch the guy in second and, and third that started first and second. I can catch up to them and cue off them. But after you win day one from the third row, like, they're like, okay, he's starting in front. He doesn't need the advantage. So I was starting in front every day, but on that, on that last day, uh, second place caught up to me from like 30 seconds back. Now, do they, now so, do they start you like, if you're 20 minutes ahead, do you start 20 minutes before everybody or do they send you all off at the same time? They send us off, uh, 30 seconds apart. Like it's weird how they stage, like some of us start 30 seconds apart and some of it's a minute. And I think maybe to just make it more of an interesting race, they started myself and the guy that I was racing 
second for 30 seconds apart, probably to let us bang bars or something. Yeah. It's really easy to make up 30 seconds on someone when you know they're right up there. And, and yeah, so, when you're like navigating, the, you're having to dial in the fresh tracks. I, yeah, I bet it is. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so I'm like trying to ride quickly to keep him off me because I know it's an advantage for him to see me, but at the same rate, I'm like, don't ride over your head and hit some rock while you're looking at the GPS and stack it up. Um, because there's plenty of time where you're, you're just absolutely cooking and, uh, you could make a mistake that could, you could stack it up. But he, we, we actually rode together a lot that last day, kind of back and forth. And, uh, we were pushing each other. And that last day, about halfway through, I started to fatigue pretty heavily. Like I thought, yeah. So the third, the third day's the last day. No, the fourth day I jumped ahead. Okay. But okay. But okay. So on the third day, Something funny happened. Okay. We were we were riding. This could have been the second day, but we'll just say it's the third. We we're I was I was leading everyone and, and we're riding through some thick old growth forest. Now these are the Carpathian Mountains. So like think, like that's where Dracula's from. Like that's like there's some history you know, in the hills. Like you can feel it. Sometimes if you are out there and you stop, like you can just feel like some stuff has went down here. You know, like this is this is wild, but so anyway, we're, we're, we're busting through this forest, like not even a trail, just there's some blue ribbons hanging there to kind of remind you you're on the track, but you're looking at this GPS. Oh, that's so I'm, wicked. I'm, I'm going down this, like this fresh virgin hillside and I'm, you know, I see some ribbons. I see a, some lines on the screen. I'm descending and all of a sudden I realize I've diverged from the race course and I, I've way down this hill and I'm off the track. I'm just like, Oh, I think I was, I was trying to pick up the pace because there was like two or three dudes that were weighing down on me. I was like, why am I holding up traffic? Like, I must be going slow. But when I realized I was off the track, I just stopped. I, zo- I looked at my GPS, and I was like, man, I, must, I missed something. So I turned around. I looked where I just came from. I was like, I just came down this hellacious hill. Like, I got to go back up this. Because I couldn't just like cut right where I thought the track was because this huge ravine had opened up between me and where the track probably should be. And I was like, I'm not going in that ravine, man. So like, I got to go up and around this. So I'm going up, 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 just just like, just trying to, just trying to get some drive. And just as the ravine, like I was getting to the top, the opening of the ravine, there's all these trees down. So I had to go up and over and around all these down trees. And then all of a sudden I could see the line on my GPS. So I cut over, I get on the line and I start descending and I'm like, man, I don't know how many people might've passed me here. And then I got this like train, a train of dudes I had led off the track. And I don't know if they're trying to follow me or if they just like beelined it to where they think the track is. And maybe they got ahead of me. So down the hill. Now you're playing catch the, up big time. Well, I don't know, but I, I, I descend this hill till I get to a, a bench cut, like a road and it turns left. And I go directly under where I had just turned around. I was like, oh, man, I just killed a couple minutes, like, trying to be honest and get back on track where I left it, just to realize I was, like, right there. And when I start looking around, I realize there's, like, two sets of dirt bike tracks. I was like, those bastards came straight in front of me, and they're up there, man. They're, like, probably a couple minutes ahead. So I, like, you know, I was going as fast as I could down these, like, like kind of just – I was following a couple lines on these like kind of grass covered two track roads, like out on a, like an actual road. Then I'm on these dirt paths, logging roads, these trails, like 
kind of like no path through this forest floor as fast as I could go. I was like, I cannot let them get ahead of me and out of sight. Because if somebody's ahead of you and you don't see them, you don't know how much faster they're going. Yeah. Like they might, they might be putting 30 minutes on me. Like I'm obviously like, I'm obviously losing my mind about this. I'm not being realistic that they can't, like they realistically can't be going that much faster than me, but I was riding my heart out, man. And, um, I got to the service stop where, you know, they stopped the clock and you see the team. I'm like, where are they? Where are the guys I've been racing? They're like, Nick, you are in the lead. I was like, I love, I love trying to do their accents. It's fun. (laughs) But I had put like six minutes on everyone. Like by time we got like some time past the service, like the, the, uh, you know, the scoring comes through on their cell phones. And it's like I had went so fast chasing a ghost. I put six minutes on everyone in just in just the morning. Oh and, man! <laughs> and I was freaking out. But uh, anyway, that was that was just kind of a funny story. But then the uh, then the sad part of that story was I was I th- I kind of like I must have tuckered myself out doing that. But then like I'll, the next part of the racetrack, there was a lot of like beautiful terrain. I was kind of like just taking it in. I kind of lost my edge and those dudes all made the six minutes back up on me. Cause I was dilly dallying. I was like, Oh no. Like think of how, like if I just kept pushing, like, no, I they like, were pissed off that you took them down that fucking rabbit chase and they had to turn around too. They're like, we got to get were, this yeah. motherfucker. But like the stuff I did to quote, like, you know, I was chasing a ghost. Like I thought I was trying to run them down. Like I passed some, like, there was like this old Romanian family all piled up on this tractor, like rolling down this road. Like I jumped off the road, like through this like wooded ditch, passed them in the forest, jumped right out in front of this tractor, just like doing crazy, stupid stuff. Cause like the, the entire racetrack is like, this is where these people live. Like they don't just like keep tractors and log trucks from driving on these roads. Like, wow. It's, it's this, it's a live set, man. Like stuff can be happening. So, um, this is this is real, and uh, it, was, it was just it was just funny. So but, you, um, so you were you were in the lead by twenty minutes at the end of the third day. Is that yeah? At the end at? of the third day, yeah. My so I had I had accumulated so like the overall lead was like the lead I had accumulated over each day. Yeah. And uh, uh, so at the end of that third day, I, I won that third day by maybe a few minutes and extended it to just over twenty, and. Uh, and so I mean, it's wild. It's like, you know, you start racing at like seven in the morning and I was finishing each day and somewhere around five hours. Was so. it, was this normal for somebody to win three days in a row? Is that like, I mean, or is it normally go back and forth between those guys? I didn't do a lot of research going into this on results. I mean, I, yeah, I, the, the most I looked at results were to see how long it was on average. It took people to finish their day. Yeah. So I wanted to know like, how am I going to go that long racing like nutritionally and, uh, and this and that, but, uh, but nobody I, said I anything think, to you. Uh, I put on a pretty strong performance. Like uh, <laughs> ra- <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear. The, uh, the guy I was renting the bike from, his name is Radu and he is such a good dude. Um, anybody is welcome and encouraged to actually, show up to Romania, rent a bike from him and take his tour. Yeah. How do people get in touch with him? Uh, Sherco 
endurotours.ro. I mean, you just Google Sherco Romanian Enduro Tour and it'll take you to him. He's the Romanian importer for Sherco motorcycles, but also runs the Enduro Tours there. There, there are a number of Enduro Tour uh, group, groups or outfits out there. Um, I've worked with a, with a different outfit once before, just like as a recreational tour I took part in. But um, after the experience I had with these guys, like I can't say enough good about them. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he was uh, pretty stoked that, you know, I'm on his equipment and I'm leading this and, and he, you know, I mean, he, he was being quite a cheerleader in my corner. Like, man, he's like, Nick, you win this. We make party. That was a reoccurring theme. Like as the week progressed, I mean, that's, that's what they say. Like we make party and, uh, and I'll tell you, man, after, at the end of that, that fourth day. So like I said, end of the, like middle of the fourth day, I started getting fatigued. I came into the pit stop. I looked at him. I was like, now, guys, I'm fu-. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. You said the first day was like <clears throat> off road day or the first day was the prologue. This, the second day or the first day of the race was off road day. What do you call the other days? The day. Okay. So like the first day was the prologue. The second day is off-road day one. There's four off-road days. Okay, okay. So that's okay. basically that's that's how it works. They're all <coughs> they're all the same but quite different. You know, on average, they were all about 100 kilometers long. Gotcha. I completed each day in approximately like five hours of actual ride time. And uh, what was cool is just between day two and three, we had to camp out. Yeah. At the end of day three, it was like being reunited with your family again. I saw my rental guys and mechanics like, hey, guys. Oh, yeah. They like, were how really, was camp? Yeah. They were really talking they're about like, a party. They're like, they're like, how was camping? And we're all just kind of tired. Like, we need food. And <laughs> so um, that's what was wild. I was at the end of each day. You know, you finish around 1 p.m. It's like I'd go straight for like a snack or I'd like go eat a pizza and go take a shower and then go to dinner. And then you do like, uh, they had these virtual riders meetings. Typically you'd have to actually physically go, but this year is just like this And the riders meetings are super important because they tell you there's areas where they'll have like, they govern your speed on public roadways. Like where, where kids are known to jump out because they're stoked about dirt bikes. Like there's, you know, they, they like to have some safety involved. And so it shows on your GPS, like they will check your speed with your GPS because you turn them in every night yeah. and they look at where you've been and uh, that's a part of the scoring. So I was always super paranoid about not speeding because they'll, they'll penalize you heavily for that. Um, that was only like limited areas, but then they also told you like where you're starting and they told you about, you know, certain particular things to pay attention to. And for as crazy as these races are, it's like if they're going to mention something, it's probably worth listening to. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, so it was cool. Like they had the organizers like set us up with these like buffets for dinner. So, you know, you'd see how many plates you could fill up and eat and then go sleep for a few hours and do it the next day. So that, that last day though, man, I was running out of steam and the, the guy that, uh, I was racing against, he was, he was really being aggressive and, uh, I ended up handing him that day. I don't want to say hand it to him. Damn. I, I, I was like, you know, I got a 20-some minute lead. If I keep pushing and I go down, I could get hurt and not be able to finish this thing. So I'll follow him. And I actually ended up hitting like a dry, hard rut out in a field. Like on the – we're like traversing countryside, getting back to like 
the big Red Bull Arch finish line. That's like this notorious obstacle course hill climb that you have to do as a grand finale. And and I was warned about this field you cross. There's all these dry ruts out in the grass. And and I I actually I saw one. I freaked out and I hit the front brake too hard and just slid on the grass and smacked my head on the ground and cracked my GPS. And I was like, oh, I did it. I finally crashed. And uh, I, I picked the bike up, and I couldn't even see the leader anymore. I was like, oh, man. I was like, it's okay, dude. He can't he can't beat you by 20 minutes. We're not even that far from the end. Yeah. And uh, so he, he ended up getting me by like two minutes on that day. And um, I kind of I kind of limped her in. And uh, it had been sweet to sweep all the days, but it's a lot sweeter to just guarantee you finish it in the – you know, with the win, you know, when lose one battle to win the war, I guess. But, uh, uh, it was, it was super cool getting to go up on that podium. And, and, you know, I, I wasn't like overly stoked to win, like not the top class, but I was still really proud of my effort. I just had so much fun. It was hard to digest everything I just done, yeah. but, uh, I still enjoyed the ginormous bottle of champagne we got and we're, <laughs> There's like these foreign photographers and these all these rad people I'd gotten to know. And they're like, can I take a picture with your champagne? I was like, only if you chug some. <laughs> so it was crazy. Then they got these beer tents and the champagne. And then you're not even thinking about the fact you got to ride these dirt bikes like back to the shop from the finish line. So we're like doing rolling burnouts through town and just doing all sorts of squirrely stuff. And then, uh, and then the party hadn't even officially started. Then we make party. <laughs> well, hold on. Did you do the hill climb that I kept seeing? Yeah. Um, and so there was what they call a chicken. There's various chicken lines on that hill. And I looked at it and I was just like, I really didn't study this hill. I'm not prepared for this. And I, I, I gave it hell. And as I was, I was ripping up to it, I saw there was a chicken line that like, I was permitted to take like the last shelf before you make that last like vert wall. I just thought it sure would be cool to go all the way up this, but I was like, if I don't have to, and if it, I don't care if it takes me a couple extra minutes, like I just need to finish this race right now. So I, I just finished the race, but, uh, Oh, so that was in the race. Yeah. So that like, that's in the race. And what's wild is like, there were guys like, I'm sure you saw, uh, Oh, his name just escaped me. The guy that was riding that Yamaha 10 race 700. Yeah, the fucking, uh, what's his name, Pole? Yeah, uh, Terrapolis. Uh, yeah. Pole Terror. Whatever. He's, he seems like a good dude. But he, was, he finished the race in the bronze class on that bike. And then after he finished, he came around. He just kept taking repeated hits on that hill. And I think like at some point he must have stacked it up on that last day. I'm pretty sure he was missing the silencer on that thing. Cause it sounded wicked, but he had the crowd just rolling, man. He'd rev that thing up. Rah, da, 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 rah, rah, they go hit this hill climb. And he gave it everything it got. He never got anywhere near the top, but it sure sounded good. Trying. Oh, he got close, <laughs> but he didn't, he never got up that wall. Well, he got, he got as high as I got for that chicken line, but like it, he, he wouldn't like that bike is too heavy. You like, you need more tire on a bike. That's heavy. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, he was, he was, he was trying to make a run up that wall, but he was just, he lost every, all momentum every time he got to it. I have so much respect for a dude that's going to, that can take a bike with that much weight through the train we went through because like my knees wouldn't forgive me. Like, I don't know how he did it. Cause he's a tall dude. So 
um, you know, when you're tall and you're pushing around that kind of weight, it just, man, your knees. <laughs> yeah. But I've, been, I mean, I've been through some stuff. How do you think the bronze was compared to the silver? Like how did it, or how much, how was the gold compared to the silver? So I think the gold, like what, what was explained to me is the silver class this year, like the current like gold challenge level is equal to the gold challenge level of maybe like six, seven years ago. Wow. Um, so, so it's like, it's no joke, but like, I feel like I was hyper prepared. So to me, it was just a fun challenge and I, I could have, I expected more of a challenge. The gold class, there's so many places where I'm like riding some like trail that's just I'm thoroughly enjoying. And then the gold guys are like sweating it, like trying to figure out how to get up stuff. And there's just a number of more challenging sections for them while I'm catching my breath. Yeah. Now, the the, bron the bronze class, um, I have a very skewed view of like what's challenging. And basically, it's like, Either I need to figure out how to get a bunch of momentum or traction or like make a rhythm out of something or it's a dual sport. Now, <laughs> put me on an adventure bike and then my my standards will change. But like I, I, I know some guys that are probably decent riders and they found the bronze class to be, you know, an all day challenge. Um, but uh, it, it I, I can't answer that question. Like I yeah. said, it's. Um, I have a skewed view of like what's challenging and how challenging well, things and you are. Didn't, that I, you didn't actually get to ride the bronze course. No. And, and so, and I got to ride bits of the gold course and bits of the bronze course because there were, there were markers where there were trail splits. And that way, if you're riding with someone, you can see like, if you're following someone like, Oh, he's gold, he's going gold, but I'm bronze. I need to take the bronze turn. So like anywhere where the trail split, you could see which classes were going which way. And so there were a number of times where gold and silver guys rode together and then the gold and silver would split to their respective obstacles. And then there was a lot of times I was riding stuff. The bronze guys would ride and there was some really cool trail that we all got to ride together. And yeah. I actually passed a buddy of mine who lives in Virginia. He was out there riding bronze. I remember coming down this hill and I see it. his name's Lee. He always wears just like orange cue ball helmet, man. It's just this big, plane or i was like Dude, your helmet is obnoxious but i always know it's you and uh i came down this hill and i was like Lee! it's like it's so cool to pass your buddy in romania that you know from the u.s that is and then cool. i just i just gave it a bunch of extra throttle just to be obnoxious and just, <laughs> but we were like rolling down this trail that flowed in these just this really cool it just it flowed like a it was like a half pipe like you're riding in this this really smooth, like, cup. It, it flowed left and right, just zigzagged up and through this like ridge, this this like this little valley you're riding. Like you were just doing these big wall ride berm shots and sloshing over to ride the opposing wall for the next turn. It was such a flowy, mean thing. And I actually saw on video one of the guys with the helmet cams that was doing filming followed pull tears on that ten race seven hundred in that same section and. Man, I was just giving me goosebumps. I remember riding it, and his bike sounds so good in that. Yeah, I, I saw that video today. <clears throat> that is that was yeah. a fucking cool section. Yeah, I, I wasn't even sure if what I was watching at Paul Terrace was from this year or last year. Uh, well, he's only done that once with that bike. Okay, so. well, then it was definitely this year then. Cool. Yeah. From what I understand, he's 
like I think his father is some kind of trials riding guru and he he himself is a hellacious like trials and enduro bike rider but I believe like this was just like a unique way for him to challenge himself because being hyper capable on a bike but he's just like doesn't he doesn't put it all together to be like a top level racer yeah and uh so doing this was a bit of like a spectacle that could challenge him in the right way and so I don't mean that in any like disrespectful way but that's just what I heard and I can relate you know sometimes you'd be good at something but you can't put it together to you know beat everyone so why don't you make it like a party and and do something really cool yeah have so. fun doing it you know i'm sure fucking yamaha paid him a good chunk of change to do that i would imagine if they didn't it would have been worth them doing that i kind of don't think they probably I, I don't know i i know that they've probably sold a bunch of those bikes because of him i hope he's getting something for it but dude that fucking yamaha branded did you see the seeker video that they put out this month I don't really follow stuff that gets put out. I just, oh, I just dude. do stuff in my own There's, little corner. They but. just put out a video of him shredding that bike on the gnarliest. He was on terrain I wouldn't fucking walk down, you know? <laughs> I know because one of the hills I walked down in that race on day one, I was because I was just like, I was just kind of like shit. And I was like, oh, my God, everybody's walking in this hill. I better walk down. I heard he rode that Yamaha down. And I was like. I was so embarrassed after her that he rode that big, <laughs> big down. I was like, no way. I need a redo. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's fucking yeah. awesome. Well, so how did that race, I mean, was it, I mean, I guess if it wasn't that much as much of a challenge as you thought it would be, how did it stack up to the hard enduros back here in the States? Well, it's, that's an interesting question because I've, I've definitely ridden hard enduros in the States that were more technically difficult and also races like a day of racing here has like put a more of a physical hurt on me because so one thing at Romaniacs is like, they lay that out knowing that you are going to be challenged for four days. So they don't want to finish you off in one day, yeah. especially if you're appropriately classed, like if you're in the right class. Um, but also Romaniacs had a lot more like actual just, enjoyable riding of like trail and also high speed traversing through pastures and, and down dirt roads and through people's farms than I ever would have expected. A lot of stuff similar to what like I'll do in the Midwest race and some of these cross country races. And then you take a step back and realize, Oh, this is called the Romaniacs Enduro rally. So like, it's kind of like a rally through the forest, but with extreme stuff. So I realized like you got to be a very well-rounded rider to do this. It's not all about, you know, crushing rocks and hill climbing. It's, it's a little bit of everything. And, uh, so it's, it's a common, it's like a combination of so many races I love to do. And I was having so much fun with just that mixture. And I was like, you know, this, this race really bodes well for all of my favorite races. If I combine all the different skills I've developed, some of the stuff I'll go up and do in the Midwest, something called the moose run, which has a bunch of high speed fields and literally like you're racing through people's farmlands and then through the forest around them and crossing rivers. And then all the hard enduros I've done around the country with hill climbs and, and creeks and rivers with waterfalls in them. It's just a combination. So it, it wasn't particularly harder or gnarlier than anything I'd ever done, but it was the most diverse thing I've ever done. Like where it included so much different stuff. Yeah, that's rad. <clears throat> 
Now, how does that compare to like a six-day race? It's pretty different. I've done three ISDE International Six Day Enduros. Um, I've been on the Junior Trophy team, and I've been on you know quote unquote like club teams. But the, the International Six Days Enduros, it's similar in that you know you're in a different country. Everything's foreign. Um, what's what's neat when you're a part of the ISDE team for like the United States is you go as a team and the AMA has everything set up kind of like a travel agency would where it's all super structured and, and set up for you. And so it's almost like, um, well, I got too many things coming at me at once. Cause I've all these memories are all these memories are just like splashing me in the face right now. Um, it's, I mean, it's, I it sounds in, more structured. Whereas like Romania was more of like an adventure. There's a lot of unknown. Like the, the promoter in Romania, they do a great job of making it where you show up and it all happens. But I showed up from the United States as a one man band. Like I went there by myself, made a couple loose contacts and really just put faith in that the people I'm going to be in touch with are going to hold to their word and things are going to work out. And it all worked out like better than I could have hoped, especially for being in another dang country. And uh, so at it, it, the six days, like it's a bigger deal and you go with you know, 30, the dudes you typically race against and you're on the same team. So it's much more of a social thing. And the racing is you're, you're racing through a number of stages of the day that are much shorter and it's just very intense and fast followed by like lots of trail riding and kind of the, the, the riding between the sections can be anywhere from dual sporty to kind of just grueling and abusive. It just depends on where in the world it is, what kind of train they have, and also how they set up the, the time schedules. But you got to stick to a schedule and simply ride just hard enough to get to the places you got to be. And then you you sprint through the stages, which, like I said, are relatively short. Where at Romaniacs, you're literally racing from like 7 a.m. till you finish the 100 kilometers or whatever it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, I guess I race for five straight hours, except except for the control stop you know, five actual race hours a day for four days in a row. Six days, you might only race for two hours in a day, but you're on the bike for seven or something. Gotcha. So it's 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 quite a bit different. And I've, I've done them both, and I really preferred Romaniacs just because I think that endurance is even more important and have, being more of a diverse rider is more important. And you never see the same stuff twice. When you go do the international six-day enduro, a lot of times, like day one and two are the same days. They just repeat it. And sometimes within a day, you'll ride the same test two or even three times. Oh, so by shit. the end of like the, by the end of the second day, you've got powder ruts that are engine case deep and you can't see anything. And I'm like, this isn't telling you who's the better rider. This is just who can deal with the most crap. Yeah. Like, and not, not cool crap. Like I like extreme enduro garbage, but not ruts and powder. But, uh, I've seen some cool things go to international six days enduros though. I've, I can't discount those experiences, but I was also at a younger place in my life, taking racing probably too serious and didn't get as much out of the experience I got when I was in Romania, kind of being focused on the task, but also like really soaking it up too. So that's awesome. So um, was now in Romania, <clears throat> was there like a, I mean, a, like a, a day for the fans or something that you guys did do in town since they didn't do the prologue? It was I mean, I saw something where they were like climbing a fucking staircase. 
Yeah, there was like this invitational thing they did the day before the prologue where they took, you know, the all the top guys from different countries. And uh, yeah, they exactly. They raced up some stairwell up to some this rooftop race. And uh, that was totally a publicity thing like for Red Bull. And it looks super neat. I kind of wish I got invited to it, but I didn't. And honestly, I think I walked around and enjoyed the fine food in Cebu instead. So nice. <laughs> the food over there is so good. Everything's so fresh. And they use like it's everything's like locally sourced and it's all handmade. Like they don't they don't go get something out of the freezer and microwave it like at Applebee's, man. It's it's a really good food over there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, are you going to go back next year? That's the plan. Is after after having such a standout performance in the in the silver class, um, it was so fun and fulfilling. But a lot of a lot of the guys over there were happy for me. like Nick. It's great you won this, and the silver class was smart. But like, you got to come back. And I was like, yeah, like yeah, like yeah, you, you got to come back and ride gold. So that's um, while I'm capable and 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 I'm able to, I'm going to go back probably next year and ride the gold class. Um, and I know what I need to do to prepare for it. I've definitely want to be better prepared so I can meet some, some lofty goals in that gold class. That's awesome. So, well, what yeah. else you got on the books for next year? I mean, this year's racing's pretty much up, isn't it? You'd think, but I'm actually going to be going to Missouri and racing. I leave the day after Thanksgiving here this Friday. I'll drive down to Missouri and do something called the Ozark 100. It's just traditionally been a race. It's always that weekend and it's a good time and rugged train and they have a pretty healthy purse. So that helps. Yeah. And then, uh, I'll get the van down to Austin that next day, fly back home and get some work done at cycle electric through the week. And then, uh, f- fly back down and race the Red Bull override, which is kind of a, I would say a relatively new race it's under new promoters. So we'll see what they have for us. But then I'll be done till probably March. And um, so starting sometime next spring, we'll have the AMA Extreme Enduro Series. It's split up into an East and West Series. And um, I'm not really overly committed to do anything. Uh, I kind of do what I want. I've got support from the the United States uh, importership of Sherco, the Sherco off of Sherco USA. So the... uh, the manufacturer backs us a bit and they, they give me kind of loose rein on what I do because I'm low man on the totem pole and we just mutually, I, I represent them. They help me a little bit and it's a good gig, That's but awesome. um, I, I like to pursue that whole series, but it's like unrealistic with the level of support I get to like get to all the West coast races. So I'm going to kind of see how the schedule shakes out and if it's uh, worth that huge chunk of my life to pursue it. Um, but ultimately, I want to pick the events on the schedule that that I enjoy and that, that kind of gives me a good flow and hopefully, you know, chase one particular title or another, either like a Southeast Regional Championship or the East Coast National Championship and, and whatever sets me up good for Romaniacs. Yeah. And then uh, just really trying to maybe squeeze in a few more just fun events, events where I can have a good time on the bike and maybe some more kind of social things. I, I miss out on all the social stuff. I'm always grinding away at these races, but it's, it's hard to not be chasing that 
chasing that dragon too. So. Oh, dude. I mean, racing is like a drug, dude. It's like, it's addicting. It takes money, time. You don't get a whole lot out of it except for like, you know, your own personal uh, satisfaction, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but what's cool about the racing is generally you come out the other side better for it. Like, you know, it, it's it's physically it's good for you if you keep it in check. Yeah. Mentally, it's great for you. Um, if you know, if you got a good group of people you're doing it with, like the, the the friendships you come out of it, and there's a lot of life lessons that I've learned from it. Um, and it's also probably kept me out of a lot of trouble too. So. Yeah, that I do believe. I do believe that. Uh, yeah. Well, that's rad. Uh, yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't. I think. Dude, I, I'm gonna do a bunch of racing next year, and it's just all scattered about. I approach my racing as like just sheer experiences and getting to ride places I wouldn't normally get to ride. Uh, you know, the man. <clears throat> I'm. I'm building a new race bike next year, a tank shift, a 45 flathead. Uh, to try some new, I mean, I guess I'll be racing in a lot of the places I've been to before, but on a different bike. So that'll be fun. Uh, I imagine if my kids want to do it, there's a local enduro uh, circuit around here. I think it's called Torque or TCCRA. There's a couple of them. We may go do a couple of those races and see if they enjoy that. Uh, Old T-Sec. Yeah. I've done some of their events. What, uh, what advice do you have for kids uh, that are, you know, new to riding. Oh, how can you help of... me coach my kids along? It's, um, that's like, it's like standing in the universe and pointing in a direction saying, which way to go off. Uh, there's, you know, when it, when it comes to actually starting a race, you know, assuming that they have just the basics down, they're able to ride that bike a bit is they should always keep motivating forward. Never, Never stop unless, you know, sportsmanship requires, you know, if, if somebody's in trouble, like it's good to have good sportsmanship, but with, with regard to the, you know, their own race, just always keep going forward and don't get discouraged because, uh, you know, once they get some experience, you'll find you're competing in a class where you're amongst peers that are evenly matched. So if you're having trouble, there's a good chance that whoever you're racing against is having trouble too. And whoever perseveres, better will come out ahead so like if you get a flat tire like see if you can ride that flat out to at least where you can get get it fixed if you're tired or if you got to push the bike a little and it seems hard like it's probably hard for everyone and and if they see the the you know if they see the value in having been successful because they pushed through a little bit of a hard time i think that that'll help make them a tougher competitor in the future and also probably make them a, a stronger person after seeing how that works out for him. Yeah. Um, that, that's a big one, but then there's, there's so many on the bike things. I mean, one, my dad always liked to say, and this might even came up when we talked to him on, uh, our last get together is one of the, when you're faced with an obstacle or something that you got to like focus on, it's better to ride through it, not to it. Like if you're going up a hill and you see some rocks or a log or something that looks a little gnarly, don't, you know, you want to see it, but don't stare at it. You want to look beyond that because the idea is to get the bike past that, not just get the bike to it. Because if you get to it and stop, you're stuck. Yeah. So that's like 
from a for like riding riding advice. That's just all around good advice. No, I like that one. <clears throat> I can't remember if yeah, if we talked about that or I think I th- Gary might have even told me that he he learned that from your dad. Yeah. Ride through yeah, it, not to it. Especially riding the DDR, because pretty much everything there is an obstacle. So if you just ride from obstacle to obstacle, you're never going to go anywhere. You <laughs> Man, that, that spot you guys got is, I mean, it's a fucking training facility. There, I mean, riding the place that I rode the past couple weeks compared to that, I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark, really. Uh, what you guys have there is something, it's pretty fucking special. I know I've said that a couple times, but... It yeah, really what is. started out, what started out as like a thirty-some-odd acre plot of land that we could just ride on is, it's kind of grown. You know, we've we've gotten a little access here and there. We're probably up to fifty-some acres, but it's, you know, it's in the town of Moraine. So the geological feature of a moraine is like an irregular glacier deposit. So it's just naturally hilly in an otherwise flat area. And not only that, but a portion of it used to be a dump. So it's like a big man-made hill with like forks and spare tires sticking out of it so um <laughs> it's it's weird it's a weird place but it's what we got and so we ride the hell out of it and there's there's no rules so far as you just ride anywhere any which way just try to make a challenge or something fun out of everything oh and, i uh, thought there was one rule where if it if yeah. it falls it stays or you know you can't if you can't clean your trail up like if a tree falls you gotta leave it yeah, yeah, that's 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 actually kind of one of the rules is you know, don't don't go over uh, grooming it. I mean, face slappers are one thing we all can agree. If it's poking in the face, that's dumb. But like, yeah, if there's a log or like uh, like something erosion happens and causes a wash, we're gonna figure out a way to ride it different. Don't don't go building some bridge or doing some stupid, you know, like this. This is not the forest department. We don't, you know, we would rather not pay taxes and just ride r- rugged stuff. So don't. Don't go trying to put in all that work and make it too easy. <laughs> and what did what did uh, what do the the people that don't ride there call it the hellhole? Yeah, there's there's been some notable pro riders over the decades, you know, the past that have ridden there and called it a hellhole and this and that. And I mean, I get it. It's not always an enjoyable place to go rip around because you can't carry speed and flow and jump this and that, but if you're going to ride there, you got to figure out how to make a flow. And to be honest, I don't think many people would have expected somebody to come from Dayton, Ohio, to be able to travel internationally and be a competitor on like the world's scale. But that's just a, kind of a testament to what riding there can do for you. So, uh, I mean, is that where you grew up riding? That's the spot. More or less. Yeah. I, I grew up there, right. I grew up riding there and then getting out and about to different races through my teenage years, somewhere in my early 20s, I, uh, I kind of bounced. I stayed in North Carolina for a bit to kind of winter. And then uh, somewhere around 2012, I went to Bike Week, and then I just didn't come back for a few years. I stayed in Georgia for a while. Um, <laughs> Not, what, did you find a girl down there? Uh, that was a different year, and that didn't work out so good. But... <laughs> Um, no, what I did is I, uh, a buddy that I race with, he's actually like the defending, well, he's no longer the defending, but he is the five-time national enduro champion. Uh, his name is Russell Bobbitt. Uh, he and I kind of started riding down there that, that year I went to bike week and didn't come back. And he said, Hey, I just bought a place over here in Georgia. You guys should come stay. And, 
and ride with us until the next race. And then, uh, I started wearing out my welcome and then he just went ahead and had me move in and, uh, <laughs> came, became roommates. And it was cool. It was a cool time of our lives. Cause you know, we're in our early mid twenties and we were just riding dirt bikes and bicycles every day. We're training and just always having a good time, but also highly focused on, you know, he was a, kind of a high dollar, like championship level racer. And I was striving to be that guy. And while I never got the highly paid part, I did rise to his level where I would beat him sometimes. And we pushed each other to the top of our game in the sport. And we became kind of like a, a, a pretty fierce duo, despite being on different teams. And, uh, I, I think we kind of peaked in our careers in, the, in that point, despite alternating injuries and, and stupid shit like that. But uh, I ended up coming back to Ohio and racing to pay my insurance and, and food bills became too much. And yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what, what finally like got you back to working with your pops? Oh, probably just accumulation of a number of little things. Uh, you know, out of high school, I had the opportunity to go to college and get an engineering degree, which seemed like a super fortunate and intelligent thing to do. And so I did that, but I was focused on racing through that. And as soon as I graduated, I just hit the road racing because I knew that was an opportunity. You just can't pass because not anybody can do that. Not everybody may. So I'll do it. And uh, after about eight years of just racing motorcycles, it's like, I need to get a job. Well, when you got a hole in your resume for eight years and you just look like a screw off millennial, um, <laughs> you know, there, there, I've, I've met a few people. Actually, one of them was a guy I met selling some used parts to on Craigslist in the out of the back of my car at a coffee shop. He turned out to be some high level uh, engineer, man, engineering management guy at some fuel tank factory. And he absolutely dug the fact that I was a racer and engineer and, and he wanted to hire me. But aside from that guy, no one else was really interested in hiring me. And I, I wanted to try to make it on my own, but I just the, the stress of some corporate job that was probably going to, you, you can't go from waking up every morning and stretching out and riding dirt bikes to go and working for corporate anyone. No so, fucking way. No way. Um, and I, I knew that's not what I wanted to do, but I was also like, was, I can't do that. And then, uh, no, I wasn't probably going to give up the, the dirt bike sport thing. Uh, I came to help dad, which I, mean, I grew up around the business, you know, it's psychoelectric was going on in the house I grew up in, like home office, shop was in the backyard. I mean, I was sick of it from a young age because dad was always working super long hours, mom and dad working together. It, it, it would cause stress, but also like it was also rad because like I could see him through the day, but like work also drug into like life all the time. And believe it or not, I worked in the factory when I was 12 years old for a summer to buy like a new dirt bike. So which you caught that story before too. So that was, um, so like, it's just something I never wanted to do, but at the same rate, it's like, you know, to, to be able to be a part of that and and have, have that as a part of me is like, well, now I'm in it. So, (laughs) yeah. So, um, so now we're trying to, keep up with modern times of psychoelectric and uh well when you so when you when you started working with your dad again was it kind of like just because that's what you had to do 
or did you from the get-go decide you were going to be in it for the long haul or were you like trying to source out some other gigs at the beginning i mean i guess i've never had a serious plan with much anything it's always just do and it got to a point where it's like I, I i need to do something i knew you know dad needed some help with some things and so i was excited to start this chapter to tackle some projects that, that I knew were in limbo over there. And, and I thought it'd be cool to just like take on some responsibility and, and earn an honest living. And, and, and so that's, that's what I did. I mean, there's a lot of projects that we dove right into and I had to learn a lot. I mean, I, I learned a good bit in school, but I'll be the first to tell you. And a lot of people know this, like going to school is a joke because you don't learn what you need to know in school. You, you learn some useful things. You learn how to learn. You know, a lot of people get indoctrinated. I tried to avoid any of that, but <laughs> yeah, they definitely um, do. But uh, you know, there's, it's you know, we we work with a lot of antiquated equipment, but there's also a lot of cutting edge stuff that goes on there. So there's a lot of things to learn, and you know, a lot. I'll I'll spend a lot of days just trying to learn about things to to help make equipment work better and how to do a better job making old things better or making new things that we, we don't know about. And, uh, but also a lot of my time is spent repairing stuff too. So it's, it's by no means glamorous and it's, uh, I really don't feel like a true engineer a lot of the times, but that's in a small family business. You know, I'm, I'm not above having to fix the toilet or whatever. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you gotta be able to do everything with a small business, you know, like you yeah. literally gotta yeah. do everything. Or be capable which, of doing which, everything. Which, which honestly is great because I, I can't sit at a desk and do the same thing every day. And uh, and I, I think if if anything comes from the business, hopefully I can help grow it to the point where, you know, the family and I have the flexibility to do more unique things with the business while hopefully giving the opportunity to people that want a good job to, to do some of the, the, uh, the, the steady, stable things for us, you know, because – you know, like, like with the, with the economy and, and, uh, and sourcing and shipping being such chaos right now, like dad has been working exceedingly on just trying to source materials so we can keep making, you know, good voltage regulators. Like the electronic components are so hard to get. Like we're looking at, you know, it might be over a lead, a, a year lead time on getting a part for, for something. So then we got to go back and look at the drawing board. Like, okay, well, how can we, how can we keep these parts rolling and uh, you know, how can we source good alternate components for this or that? And uh, it's a, uh, it's kind of a scary time, but it's, it's just, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta work with it if you want oh, to. Oh, it's moving, just so. challenging and you're built for challenges, Nick. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 well, sometimes it can be a little stressful. It's like, well, okay, let's, let's dig in. You know, we can't just, we can't just ride this week out. We got something to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was really uh, blown away by your facility. Uh, I think I was a little, uh, what do you call it? I was, uh, I, I mean, I just wasn't aware. I just hadn't put much thought into everything that goes into making these charging systems. And it was a real eye-opening experience getting to, to see all the machines that you got running, the smiling faces working around that place. That's another thing I took away. It was like, you know, everybody there 
seemed happy. I mean, everybody was smiling when they looked up. If, if they weren't smiling, it was because they were like, you know, giving you or me a hard time just at, out of uh, just to have fun because somebody was right there to, to you know, to entertain. Uh, yeah. So it seems if, like if you have, guys are providing a, a great spot that people enjoy working at. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't stand to work somewhere where I was unhappy. Like, you know, you, you see the cliche, like somebody's like, you know, wanting to tell the boss to F off and they, 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 they hate their job or whatever. It's like, you know, there's always going to be things you don't want to do. But if you can't enjoy coming in to, to do these things, like I, I couldn't I couldn't demand somebody to go in and do something that I either wouldn't want to do or that they're miserable doing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you got to. So while while it's not all, you know, glamorous and fun, we, we try to keep a a positive, fun atmosphere. And uh, it, it's tough to, like, you know, manage a, a crew and, and keep everybody accountable for what they're doing and keep it fun and light. But we it's a pretty laid back atmosphere. That's well, I mean, it's a lot of way. monotonous work, you know, a lot of things just, you know, repeat, repeat. When I was in the, uh, the nursery industry growing plants, you know, it was a lot of monotonous work. Uh, but there are people that thrive in that. They can just sit there in one spot and do the same thing over and over again and have a smile on their face. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a certain type of people that can do that. And, uh, and, we're all capable of getting in the zone and, and doing some repeat stuff, but you know, there's some people, we've got some solid people there that have been doing the same exact job for two, three decades. And, uh, I, I don't understand how it's possible, but I really appreciate that it is. And they do a great job and they're on autopilot making, you know, quality work. And, and, you know, they, they get stoked when a part comes in that they made, 15 years ago and it's just coming in for service. There's like nothing wrong with it, you know, and they, they take pride in that. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and we get some like newer guys, somebody that'd be there for two years. And if, you know, it, it's impossible to operate a business, even making the highest quality components and not have one or two stuff, uh, parts come in where, where something was wrong and something will come in and maybe it's under warranty, maybe not. And, uh, you know, this guy will come and say, is that one of mine? Did I do that? And I'm just like, no, no, Jason, this isn't yours. This was, you know, this is actually five years old or, or yeah, this, this, you did make this, but this actually wasn't related to what you did. This, this customer actually pinched the wires off and he thinks it's our fault, but I got to explain to the guy on the phone that if you pinch a stator wire between a motor mount, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but so just the, the fact that somebody's back there making, these staters and he comes by the work workbench and he sees me looking at something, his, his concern on whether or not he did a good job, you know, after it's gone down the road. Cause you know, I, I tell these guys like if, if, if you fall asleep at the wheel and, and you have a mistake, it's like, I understand that can happen, but you got to realize that somebody's day or their trip or they're on their way to work. And all of a sudden everything stops and it could be our fault. And we can't, we can't be those, we can't be responsible for that. I was like, it, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to be stopped on the road. And it's going to be one of our fault. And it's just how we handle that one or two guys. But uh, ultimately, I think we do a good job keeping that from happening. <laughs> well, and I, and I bet it's cool having those people up there that have been there for decades, uh, taking pride in things like that. And then the, the newer people seeing that, you know, how, 
how excited they are to see something 15 years later that's still working and just needs service or to see them care about whether or not, you know, it was their fault or not that something did possibly go wrong. Uh, you know, that'll, yeah. that'll travel through times and generations. Uh, you know, when I was, uh, I had to shop for a new T-shirt shop uh, beginning of last year, maybe, or the year before that. And, you know, I found a couple places around the country and there was one close to home. It wasn't the cheapest, but, you know, I was able to get drive there. So I went there and as I'm driving to this T-shirt shop, I'm like, what exactly am I looking for? You know, like I, we've, done, we've done all the numbers. They can do this. They can do that. This is what it costs. And I'm like, well, you know what I want to know is like, do the people that are working there look like they're having a good time, you know? And I surprise visited them on a Friday and the owner was making fucking lunch for everybody and everybody was just stoked to be there. You know, of course it was Friday, so... Uh, but, you know, and that's what I really you know, took home from that visit was like seeing everybody at this place enjoying their job. And that's how I decided who I wanted to do business with. And, you know, that was, I got just that same feeling up there at Cycle Electric was just seeing everybody there that was working hard, doing shit that I, you know, I, it's hard for me to even put into words exactly what was happening. Uh, but they all seemed happy doing it, you know? And that was cool. I really do. I, I appreciate that. That was, it was it was cool to, to share it with you, and it was it's so funny because you did the podcast with with Pat right there after visiting us at the shop, and you had to comment. He's like, I I didn't understand what they're doing there. It was like wizardry, and I don't know how to communicate with wizards. And I was rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I did, dude. I mean, honestly, the that podcast with you and your dad, it it, it was really difficult on me. Like I I uh, I uh, you know I don't know. I couldn't even communicate. I was like. I don't even know what to say right now. Like these people don't speak the same language as me, you know, like there's no way. Uh, and it wasn't until hanging out with you for a couple of days, cutting off and, uh, you know, that we, you know, we were able to click and I'm like, okay, yeah, he rides, he's, a, he's just another motorcycle rider, you know? And, uh, but it was, it was difficult. Um, and, you know, and I could tell your dad was really busy and, you know, he had things going on. It was kind of, you know, one thing that I try and take into consideration, and sometimes more than I probably should, is like the the set and setting of sitting down and doing these podcasts. You know, getting people at the right point in the day or in the week or in the month where they can sit down and talk and be focused. And then along with them being focused and being able to do that is me. I got to be on my game, too, to like, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a that was an interesting one. You know, uh, it's, you know, it was it was good. To, it was good to put a microphone in front of my dad and, and, and get get some stories out of him. I think, you know, it, it would it would take some uh, a larger investment in time to, to hit the nail on the head with him and to get that ideally. And obviously, I think you probably had some digestion to do after really seeing everything we were doing there. And, yeah. And uh, but I mean, hey, that's cool. And it's it's. It, it was also cool to get to, you know, have some uh, variety of times there going up to fuel and, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff, Nick. Uh, man, we did fucking two hours just now and you got me stoked, dude. I, uh, I'm going to go ride dirt bikes tomorrow. I'm, right now, all I got is my XT500. I broke the clutch cable on my Sportster, but I think we may get that fixed before then. 
and I know you're going to go ride tomorrow as well. You guys are going to fucking cook turkey tomorrow. Well, so traditionally we, you know, ride on Wednesdays and then the third, the pre Thanksgiving Wednesday was always, as my dad started this Wednesday thing decades ago, they'd always ride and then they'd go to this certain Mexican restaurant and get these giant burritos to stretch their bellies out for the Turkey day. It's just some silly, you know, uh, annual thing they do but then it's turned into this big production and then for some reason this year we're going to gino's new pad and we're actually just having a straight up party so there's not even we're not even going to the dayton dirt riders so oh, you're not I even went, going to ride tomorrow so i went solo tonight just to scratch that itch because to be honest if we were doing this podcast and i hadn't ridden in a couple of days you probably like i've been i've been like i've been clicking tonight i'm just i just got off a dirt bike like i'm a new person but so anyway that's that's what's going on here. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, tell those guys I said hello tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your dad and, you, and your mom and the rest of the, the fucking Cycle Electric family. Right on. I will. And, uh, yeah, it's good talking. And uh, good luck at the uh, – the Mint's coming up in two weeks, right? Yeah, when you're racing in Austin, I'll be racing in Vegas. Cool. Yeah, cool. we'll, we'll, we'll touch base afterwards and see how each other does, see who's still alive. Sounds like a plan, man. Ride safe, ride strong, and uh, we'll talk to you. See you, Nick. Later. That dude's an animal, right? A fucking animal. I want to go fucking ride dirt bikes on the other side of the country or other side of the world. I mean, dude. He's got me dreaming. He's got, I hope you're dreaming too. Nick, thank you for uh, taking time to, you know, sit down and talk. I know you've got a busy schedule right now. I got a busy schedule. We made it happen. Nick, thank you. Can't wait to come back to Dayton. Um, I've got, dude, I recorded a bunch of podcasts while I was gone. I got one with Magic Mike. I got one with Clean Rock One. Uh, I did some podcasts with, the crew, me, Nick, and Awas sat down on the way there, recorded a podcast. I'm going to bring the crew back together in a week or two and do a recap of, you know, everything that happened at the races. My friend Brian Helm took some bitching photos. Uh, he rode his motorcycle down from New York, and I got to record a podcast with him as well. Uh, I really had no idea that he just got his first motorcycle recently, and he's been riding the fucking piss out of it, and it's awesome to see. It's always good to see you, Brian. And then uh, what else did we do? Oh, Jeff Kowalchuk from Biltwell took some bitchin' photos. Carlos did a fucking burnout on the stage after crossing the finish line. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful weekend, and uh, can't thank you. Enough Randall motherfucking Wiley putting this up at the Nugget. Dude, it was, it was fucking awesome. It was fucking awesome, and I can't wait to tell you more. Pay attention. But, uh, dude, let's get the fuck out of here.